This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And, uh, of course, hello there. Welcome aboard the old garden show with the, <laughs> the with the old host of the garden show, Charlie Dobbin. And I am the undergardener, sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor. And I'm stalling. I'm tap no, dancing for it's, time. It's all good. I it's just, all good? I, ha- I got you all set up. I got your mic set up. I got your headphones. <laughs> I got your, you know, computer monitor going. And <laughs> neglected to set up my own mic. So there I am talking into well, the air. Well, pay attention to the details, would you please? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. No, no, it's no problem at all. <clears throat> uh, welcome to the show once again, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you got your long underwear on? Holy mackerel, say, what's yeah. going on? Don't step outside until oh. you've really got some layers on it's today. It's the wind, too. Yeah, it's That's... a strong north wind. There was, like, ice crystals blowing around up at my house uh, on mm. the way down. Yeah, it's, it's a no. chilly day. Well, we're going to warm you up uh, with all sorts of good stuff. Actually, it's going to be a dirty show. <sighs> Dirty uh, show. Yeah, dirty yeah. show. We've got uh, a soil expert coming on, right? We do. We've got All right. a special guest joining us at 9.30, Keith Reed. He is a soil scientist. I'll tell you more about him later, but here's a couple of things to put on in your calendar unless you wanted to do the numbers first. Uh, I'll do the numbers now, okay? okay? All righty. For Toronto area listeners, it is uh, 416-360-0740. And then again, if you're... Out of, you know, town and anywhere in the province, you can call toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And the first voice you will speak to will be that of James Patrick Dooley, who <laughs> shall ask you, are you a first-time caller? Because if you are, let him know, and I will award you with wings. a little wings, yes. A little set of and wings. And keep in mind our mantra, too. Mm. Mm, don't forget that. Call early, call often, one question per call. <laughs> Okay. Thank I turn you, it over Franklin. to Charlie Dublin. Well, and that was very sweet of you to do Thank that. You. No uh, remember this coming Tuesday, April the 8th, I will be at the Lakefield Horticultural Society speaking on the subject of beauty and the eats. That's at 7.30 p.m. at the Marshland Center. But, uh, you know, here's a news, uh, breaking news. I did just read on Twitter that the event is sold out. So if you don't have your ticket now... You won't be allowed in. And I hope they put that red carpet out for you. I the hope Queen so, too. Bee. I yeah. hope so, too. <laughs> Always looking for it. Can't get it from you, that's for sure. Uh, the Burlington Horticultural Society meeting uh, Wednesday, April 9th, 7.30 p.m. Speakers Jack Kent from the Potting Shed, potting shed on Quick Fixes for Your Garden. And, of course, they meet at the Burlington Senior Centre, 2285 New Street in Burlington. Then next Sunday, April 13th at 2 o'clock, the Hamilton and Burlington Rose Society is hosting a meeting at the Royal Botanical Garden Centre, which is located at 680 Plains Road West in Burlington. They're meeting in rooms number 3 and 4. 
The speaker, Carol Workington, uh, is a researcher from the University of Guelph, and she'll lead um, the sort of lead the whole, uh, I guess, the program on all about growing roses under lights. So extending your season, uh, having your roses starting earlier, going later into the fall. Everyone is welcome. There is no entrance fee, of course. Uh, April 14th, Monday, April 14th, Agent Court Garden Club, How to Attract Birds to Your Backyard. That's presented by Paul Oliver of the Urban Nature Store. Their meeting, of course, for the Asian Court Garden Club takes place at the Knox United Christian Education Center, 2575 Midland Avenue in Asian Court. And other exciting things coming up, but they're so far in the future. Just keep your calendars out and we'll uh, give you more updates next week. And keep it tuned to AM 740 Zuma Radio because mm-hmm. you'll let them know, won't you? Oh, you know it. Well, can I have you talk of things of another nature entirely? Uh, Things that, oh, I can give you a clue or two here. My exercise <laughs> machine has started. All right. All right. Well, you know what I was going to say? Uh, yeah. Wacko. Um, so what you just reminded me of there was the fact that the boys of summer are back in town. Yahoo. Uh, despite the fact that it is so cold today, it is baseball season. Yeah. And I'm going to the game this afternoon. And yeah, with my brother, who is like the keenest baseball fan I know. He's very fun to go to ball games with. And, uh, of course, that leads us into the idea of exercise and running around and playing games. Absolutely. And, of course, we love doing that stuff, and we do it pain-free because we take Sierracil. No creaky, sore aches and pains. All the joints are working smooth and well lubricated. And Sierracil likely it's got a lot to do with that for both of us. We take it daily. It is available at many health food stores, uh, including Ambrosia Natural Foods. You can get more information on the web, sierrasil.ca, or give them a call, one eight seven seven joint 14 S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Yes, here we are on a Saturday morning to brighten your day, regardless of what Mother Nature's throwing at you. Uh, Marita, on the line from Guelph. Good morning, Marita. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Great. Good. Charlie, I have a question. I have two mogul bushes. Okay, and, well, uh, let's clarify what's a mogul bush. Are well, they, they, I, when it was planted about seven or eight years ago, they were those little round pine. Yeah, they're little. They are pines. Actually, it's called a mugo pine. Oh, mugo. M u g o mugo pine. Oh, while well, I was close. Eh, no problem. <laughs> I I just had anyway, a feeling that's they what had that you might lovely have. little round ball shape. Mm-hmm. Like they look like and, little pin, like a little yeah pin uh, whatever cushion. Yes, and I've trimmed them a few times here and there, and I know you're not supposed to take off more than a third at a time, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, they've sort of grown what I consider really out of shape, mm-hmm. so they look rather ugly, oh. and uh, they are healthy, but uh, I just wondered whether they've kind of finished their lifespan that I need to just simply pull them out or whether I can rescue them to get them back into shape. So you said it's been about seven years? Yeah, seven okay. or eight. All right, so here's the trick. With an evergreen, we, we don't prune evergreens quite the same as we prune deciduous plants, flowering shrubs, for example. So little mugo pines 
that start out as a little round ball and can be kept in that ball form. If you never prune them at all, you just leave them alone, they'll typically grow and, and sort of maintain that form. If some branch starts shooting out and starts getting all kind of odd-shaped and asymmetrical and you're not liking it, the pruning that you do is not of the needles, but it's down actual removing of a branch or a stem. Well, so you have to remove the whole branch. Well, because pines, unlike many other plants, you it's not like you can take the tip off and have more branches grow. It's, yeah, that, well, that's what I did. I cut the tips off, or mm-hmm. at least I cut like about a third of the stem. Mm-hmm. But that was, I don't know, a couple of years ago at least. And didn't you end up with like just a blunt cut-off branch or did more did some new growth? No, it looked okay. Oh, okay. All right. And it kept on growing, but now some of these branches mm-hmm. are like four and five feet tall. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, so you see there's like, dwarf... You know, it's starting to look like it's not a bush and it's not a tree. Well, the original mugo pine, which it sounds like you have, was a plant that's like a sprawling plant. So it does start out small, but when it, as it's growing, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, it is going to be four or five feet tall, and it can be as much as six or seven or eight feet wide. Oh, so they do get that That's thing. right. But there is a dwarf mugo pine, which is a newer variety of mugo pine which stays quite a bit smaller and can be better controlled so perhaps depending on the size of your garden and the amount of space you have you're right replacement might be appropriate if this plant is just right out of proportion with the rest of the garden like it's just too big uh too awkward to work with the the way we do control pine plants of any kind trees mugo pines, when they're growing, you know, the new little tips are growing, the buds are breaking out. We call them candles, the new, the new tips on a pine. Mm-hmm. And those can be actually twisted off and removed every year as those little buds break open and the candles elongate. You can actually go in there just with your hands, take all those little candles off and keep the plant the exact same size. Yeah, well, I sort of missed the boat there when I wasn't doing that every year. I That's re- yeah, let it grow and then probably a couple of years ago I... It got just too big by off, the sounds you know, of it. Like all the way around, a yeah. third of the bush. Well... And- Yeah. I mean, if a plant's not doing you any favors from an ornamental perspective, then yes, replacement might be appropriate and proper maintenance with the replaced plant because it is a great plant. Or should I maybe just try to, like, cut it back to the size that I want it and see what happens? You could try, but wait till June before you do that. Oh, okay. Okay, because June this year, likely early to mid-June, is going to be your optimal time to do any pruning on your evergreens. Right. Okay. Okay, very good. Good I luck with that, I didn't want to haul it out if it was, could be salvaged. Well, you never know, and it's certainly worth a try. Yes, okay. Thank Thanks. you so much. Good You're luck welcome. with that, Marita. Okay, bye. Right, oh, bye-bye, and thank you for calling the Garden Show here at AM740 Zoomer Radio. Now, we have a first-time caller mm. calling in from Grafton, Wayne. Hi, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Ow. That kind of yeah, hurts. That... My wife who phones in, but she's at a ladies' function this morning, so I'm the designated fill-in. No, oh, no okay. problem. She gave you the list, did she? <laughs> the question? What I'm calling about is I have a Japanese maple. I've had mm-hmm. it for about six years. Uh, it's about four feet tall. Mm-hmm. has about uh, three... Um, I don't know whether you call them trunks or stalks coming out of the ground. Mm -hmm. But this year I had a problem, and I probably because of the ice, uh, some rodents did a number on my my grass Mm -hmm. where they tunneled underneath the ice, 
and they also chewed off uh, the bark off of one of these little trunks. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned about uh, the actual branch dying. So do I wrap it? Do I spray it? Or what do I do to, to uh, ensure that all the bark that's missing doesn't cause uh, some bad things to happen to the tree? Hmm. All right, good question. Uh, at this point, there's absolutely nothing that you should do. What you're going to do is wait. You're going to wait and see what happens. When the plant starts to grow and the buds start to swell, you're right. You may lose that whole branch. Uh, if it's been entirely girdled, so if the bark was chewed off all the way around. No, it's uh, fortunately they left uh, the back part. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it might survive because okay, that the so, plant. But on the other hand, if it, if it is all the way around, then it's, it's normal that the branch uh, dies off. That's right. Okay. And you're right. It's mice. It's rabbits. It's moles. It's all kinds of little little you know varmints yeah. under the snow taking advantage of what was going on under the snow and the fact that it was warmer there than it was above ground. Right. So that's what's happened. Now, in the future, you might want to consider doing some protection in the fall of the, the base of that plant, even if it's just a, something as simple as a cylinder of chicken wire all the way around that plant in, okay. in the fall to go up above what you're going to anticipate the snow level is. All right. Okay. Just, so, and you could take it away during the spring and summer and fall, but just put that on for the winter to protect it. Right. So if the branch comes out in, uh, is there anything I should do at that point in time? Like if it gets leaves, is there anything to protect the, uh, the actual wood that doesn't have bark on it? No, the plant's going to heal that. It's going to seal it off. Uh, it's going to, as long as it's kept dry. So the things you can do is ensure that the plant is uh, able, uh, you know, hoping it's a healthy plant and, you know, in good, vigorous condition. It's fairly young, so it should be. It will seal that off, that okay. chewed bit. Your, your biggest thing is as the plant starts to grow and we get nice weather and it's a sunny day, you'll trim any of the dead wood away from the plant because right. typically there will be some tips on things like Japanese maples that will be dead. Yeah. You'll look for any dead, diseased, or damaged branches, so anything that's crisscrossing, touching, uh, causing yeah, problems in the wind. Open. You're going to clean that all up with your sharp pruners, and you're going to fertilize this spring, whether with uh, something you mix up in your watering can or just a nice half-inch layer of highly organic composted manure or homemade compost around the plant, not up against the stem, but around the plant on the soil. Okay. Okay, and that's going to help it with, you know, sort of get through this next season, and then you'll certainly protect it better for next winter. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Wayne. That's great. Thank you very much. And uh, we have to take a little uh, break here. Okay. But we have other folks waiting on the line, like Molina in Cambridge. We'll be back to speak with her in just moments. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You pick the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, here along with James Packard Dooley, who will answer the phone when you call these numbers in Toronto, 416. 416- Six three six zero zero seven forty, and then anywhere else in the province, it's toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Reason I mentioned that we have one line open, so give a call in. Meantime, Melina waiting on line there from Cambridge and a first time caller. Welcome. <laughs> 
Welcome. That was better. I was a little more Thank gentle yes. giving of the wings. <laughs> Thank you so much. I well, so enjoy your show. Excellent. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, I created a new um, garden area late last fall. It's a very sunny spot, um, mm-hmm. sheltered, so I'm thinking I'm probably into a zone 6B. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it may be even a little better than that, even though I'm in Cambridge. And, well, it's, it's more, sorry to interrupt, but what will um, have a bigger impact than, I mean, the sun is good, but it's that exposure to the northwest wind that causes How- an area to be cooler or warmer. Yeah, it's south-facing, and mm-hmm. the house blocks the northwest wind oh, okay. about 40 feet away. So right. I'm, yeah. I think I'm okay. And yep. so what I did was I got this very beautiful, huge, antique cast-iron urn. Mm-hmm. Then I put in some tree-form blue moon wisteria late in the fall, after they were dormant. Mm-hmm. And I want to put lavender under plant and then twine some peach-colored antique roses on the side. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea how to prune or look after this wisteria. Hmm. And it's tree form, so and it's up against a fence. But I, the fence is an old wooden fence. I don't think it could stand the weight wisteria growing over it. No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the wisteria that starts as a tree form typically will grow and would like. I mean, if you're going to continue to prune it, which you can, uh, and keep it as just a small tree, basically, or allow. Pardon? It's small, yeah. That's right. Well, that's right. It's small now, but wisteria uh, does want to become a very large plant. It does grow when it's allowed to, oh, you know, eight, ten feet a year. And those are those long tendrils. And, of course, it wants to climb on things, and it's a beautiful plant. And when it blooms, it's, you know, just stunning. So your challenge will be to stay on top of the pruning on this plant if you want to maintain that tree form or give it something it can clamber up onto that is sturdy. Well, I would like to maintain the tree form, but how would I prune it? Uh, when it starts shoot, well, I guess what you're going to typically we do prune wisteria midsummer and then late summer, uh, okay. because we want to allow if there's going to be flowers, we want to allow the flowering to take place. So for now, when you look at it, you planted all the stuff late in the season. You said so. Yeah, what so what you can in, in sort of late October. Okay, so what you're going to do this spring is you are going to, as I said to the last caller, you're just going to wait and see what is alive and what is dead. That we're all going to do that this spring, frankly, because this was a bit of an unusual winter. And so we're going to see what happens in terms of what survives and what doesn't survive. We're going to prune out all the dead, anything that's diseased or just broken or, you know, interfering with each other. You're going to prune that all out. And then you're not going to do anything until it really starts to shoot out a lot of growth. Come later in July, you're going to go in there with your pruners and you're going to prune back where these big shoots are, are, you know, vines are shooting out, (laughs) literally. Uh, You're going to prune those all out in July again, and then you're going to wait and see what happens, again, what kind of growth happens between then and August. Because wisteria is a high-maintenance plant when it comes to uh, pruning. Okay. Okay, that's it. That's what you're going to do. Don't fertilize it, whatever you do. This one is supposed to um, bloom three Mm -hmm. times a season. Okay, that's a good point. You said it was a blue moon. So, uh, was there information on the tag when you bought it that talked about when and how to prune? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> the tag wasn't even there. Oh, are you sure it's Blue Moon? It, I'm sure it's Blue Moon. I bought it from a, a reputable um, um, wholesale gardener, and I talked to the guy, and, I, and he confirmed it was tree form and it was Blue Moon. 
Uh, okay. All right. So that's something that, uh, okay, the best thing I can do right now is I can look up Blue Moon, or you could as well Google it, Blue Moon right. Wisteria. There will be some care information if this is a plant that's going to be blooming all kinds of different times through the season. You're going to have to work around that with, with the pruning. So I'll give you a little report back on that either later today or early next week. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. Thanks for calling. Thank okay. you, Milena, for joining us here on The Garden Show from AM740. Some uh, really interesting information there. I know. Well, we've got some really yeah. interesting calls coming I'll in. Tell eh? you, They're all yeah. over the map And here. more to come, too. And I just want to kind of pre-warn uh, the folks we have online. Hang tight. We'll get to you. But we do have a special guest in with us this morning. We do. And I believe he has arrived, well, uh, bellonically. Bellonically? <laughs> On the phone. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. I made that one up. Uh, you did, didn't you? <laughs> okay. So uh, let me just tell you a bit who, who we're going to talk to. His name is Keith Reed, and he is a soil scientist. Now, we've been making a lot of jokes here about the dirty show we're going to have, Keith, yeah, just yeah. to give you a heads up. But uh, <laughs> hold on. I want to tell you that Keith has spent many years advising gar- uh, farmers on how to care for their soil. So now he's brought all this expertise to the home gardener with his new book called Improving Your Soil, a practice practical guide to soil management for the serious home gardener. So if you want to grow great plants, you're going to love this book because it's all about making sure you've got great soil. So first off, good morning, Keith. Good morning. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm well. This is Frank Proctor. Hi, Keith. Nice to have you with us. Uh, how are you doing, Frank? Good. And I, I guess we could say I've come in uh, Rogeronically instead of Bellonically. But... <laughs> there you go. Well, all right, guy, I accept Back that. Back at you. Yeah. <laughs> a slap across the face. <laughs> now, I've been showing everybody your book, and they've been making all these jokes about the dirty show we're going to have. But, but... I, I, I do have you know something to put on my resume that I've written a dirty book. So. There you go. <laughs> there you my friends have made great hay with that one. I bet they have. <laughs> but this is a pretty serious book, but it's, it's very well written in the that it's very accessible. I mean, I understand you're a scientist, and often the dry language of textbooks and, and the scientific world is not something that the average gardener can really get their teeth into, and yet I think this book has been really, you've done a great job. Did you actually write this yourself, or did you have a ghostwriter? I actually wrote that myself. Wow, it's great. And, uh, and I've spent my career trying to take what looked like really complex uh, subjects mm-hmm. and make them accessible. Uh, try to get down to the basic principles yeah. so people can actually understand them and use the information. Which is perfect. Yeah, uh, I guess the, someone explained to me once the difference between a salesman, he wants to take something that looks easy and make it complex so you have to buy his product. Yeah. <laughs> My job is to take something that looks complex and make it easy so you can do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. And and be able to and empower people with knowledge. And exactly. That's, and that's wonderful. So, okay, so here I am. I'm a serious home gardener. I want to have great soil because I want to grow great plants. Where do I start? What's the number one thing? The number one thing is patience, yep. uh, especially in a year like this where, you know, winter has dragged on forever, mm-hmm. uh, and it's back again today. Yeah, it's isn't it? Uh, and uh, I know everybody's itching to get out there and, and be on the, you know, on the ground, out doing stuff. And if you're out there before the ground is dry enough, you're actually going to cause more harm than good. Because we actually end up destroying the structure of our soil if we go onto the garden or onto the lawn too early, don't we? Exactly. Yeah, you close up those, you squeeze those pores shut, which mm-hmm. are, you know, the lungs of the soil mm-hmm. that let the air in, let the water in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of days too early this time of year can, can mean difficulty for the rest of the season because you know, the soil's not going to drain as well. Mm-hmm. It's not going to let the air in. You won't have as much biological activity. Uh, you... you uh, 
you know, farmers have learned that the hard way, yeah. and gardeners need to learn that as well. So, in a sense, this is good, though. It means we get to lay back a li- for a few more weeks. We're not going to have to feel pressure to rush out there and get those lawns raked and get, you know, all this work done. It's the idea is stay off your soil. It doesn't matter what kind of soil you have. Stay off it till it's really, really dried down, and then wait a few more days after that as well, you said. Well, wait, wait a few more days after it looks dry on top. Okay because it's probably still gummy underneath. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side of that is, if you've been taking really good care of your soil, if you've got lots of organic matter, really good soil, soil structure, it will stand up to a bit of abuse a lot better than a soil that's been abused. Right. Uh, so, you know, making sure you uh, have uh, added lots of uh, compost, uh, leaf mulch, mm-hmm. uh, grown cover crops in there, uh, you know, put some clover in the garden to, to give it a rest and, and let those roots actually build soil structure so it doesn't break down the first time you get impatient and go <laughs> get out when there. it's Because uh, inevitably we do get impatient. Well, you get those nice sunny days and people want to do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even I was out um, a sunny day a few days ago because my entire front yard is just covered in twigs and branches and all kinds of broken stuff from the trees above. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't walk on the lawn, but I got a long-handled rake and I went along the driveway and I went along the road and I just pulled all the twigs and branches off my lawn and my gardens there that, to expose them to what turned out to be some rain and some sun and everything else. But it was, kind, it was just so ugly. It was kind of embarrassing. I, was, I didn't like all those branches <laughs> sitting on top of my plants. So... <laughs> And, and to do that, you know, from the sidewalk, from the pathway, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is okay. not a problem. Yeah. You know, you, you, uh, you're just taking that surface detritus off. Now, some of it, too, we, depending what's there, yes, it can look a little ragged at this time of year, but having it perfectly clean and, and bare soil mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the best thing because when we do get a heavy rain, mm-hmm. some of that uh, stuff that had been left on the surface would actually break up the raindrop impact and help it... Uh, well, that's right. Stay more open. Yeah, which is why we like perennial ground covers and exactly. mulch and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into mulch, let's just talk a little bit about, um, so st- be patient was number one. What would you say is number two? Like, what about people, I mean, we all have different soil depending on where we live and depending how old how old the home is and how old the, the trees, et cetera, in the neighborhood are. So recognizing your soil, what kind of soil you have has got to be pretty high on the list. Exactly, yeah, uh, you know. And is Take that, a little time. That's look like a, at what what type of soil you've got, what soil texture you've got. Right. So it's like touch uh, it, feel it, smell it. Touch it, feel it, smell it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and a healthy soil will will have a really nice earthy smell. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's actually an organism that's living in the soil that gives you that earthy smell. It mm-hmm. won't grow very well if you've got a soil that's too wet or too dry or uh, you know too compacted. Yeah. Uh, so or has you're no looking smell. for that that lovely aroma. Mm-hmm. If it smells uh, sour or, or mm-hmm. uh, swampy, you know, swamp, yeah. you, know, you know, that's an indication that uh, well, you need to look at doing something to open it up to improve things. Yeah, uh, drainage. Next thing is you know looking at what is your soil structure like, mm-hmm. uh, how badly abused is the soil. Uh, somebody had coined the term of, uh, you know, what a lot of our gardens is built on is as builder's loam. So it's what's left over after all the construction equipment's driven over it. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. You know, even like where I live, a 30-year-old house or however old my house is, uh, my house is built on 
builder's loam because right. all that lovely topsoil was taken away. The house was plunked down onto the subsoil, and then they came in and put a. And actually, in my case, it's an old enough home, and it was fairly seriously gardened before I got there. They had probably brought in about a foot of topsoil. So but you've got uh, a better situation than most. Than most. I've got more than that half inch that a lot of the newer homes are, are on at this point. Yeah, uh, Keith, I'm just looking at the back of your book here, and uh, along the subject matter of soil texture and structure, you're, you're, the one word here that I've never heard before, building soil, and then T-I-L-T-H, tilth. Tilth. Oh, yeah, you've never heard that term. I've never heard that term before. Oh, okay. And uh, you're obviously it, not a farmer. Those, it's one of those words. I actually go into the definition bit in the book because it's one of those words. Uh, you either are familiar with it, and it, it just resonates when you've got good tilth. That's that's that soil that looks like a nice crumbly chocolate cake. Ah, the you know, Mar- Holland Marsh area kind of that kind of soil, dark, mm-hmm. dark, dark. Yep. But but that that. Crumbly structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, not wet, not soggy. Not not wet, not, not soggy. Sandy. Uh, not not sticky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hangs hangs together but doesn't hang together so tightly that you could, you know, make little clay figurines out of it. Yeah. <laughs> like my my natural subsoil. <laughs> my I have serious clay based soil where I am. So what what kind of soil do you garden on? How how's your garden? Well well, my, my garden's a work in progress. We moved Aren't about they all? two years ago. Oh, okay. uh, from uh, actually the Eldersley clay up in Bruce County down to uh, you know a, a nice Guelph loam that's been compacted, and it's in some ways worse than the clay because uh-huh. it, it doesn't heal itself as easily. Uh-huh. You know the clay it dries out and it cracks open, and roots can get down there, and you can uh, actually get some structure built fairly easily. Mm-hmm. The uh, the loam it's it's got just enough clay that it's sticky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not enough clay that it, it will actually shrink and swell and open up. Oh. So, uh, you know, I, I'm still dealing with the uh, the sins that were committed when the house was built here 30 years ago. Yes, yeah, the same idea. So what do you do with a situation like that, where you're saying it's that, that kind of a loam, but doesn't have as much clay as what you were familiar with? How, what are you, how are you treating that? Are you and, adding uh, things like organic material? or? I'm, I'm working on uh, mostly mulching on the surface. Yeah. You know, there is some some organic matter in the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some areas where there's raised beds where, you know, there's Always. actually been topsoil brought in and, and you artificially create mm-hmm. a deeper topsoil by, by raising the garden up. Uh, I, I'm sorry to say my lawns are in a, a sorry state, but I'm busy covering them over with patios and stuff so I don't have to deal with the <laughs> lawns too much. It's true. <laughs> Hide the deficiencies. Well, and lawns can be, a, you know, a fair amount of work for depending on, you know, lifestyle and what you need and what you've got. Um, I know where I am, I, and I mentioned to you on the phone yesterday that I tried so many try- ways to break up the clay where my in my garden. It was just, you know, peat moss, sand, mm-hmm. gravel, um, a product called Clay Breaker. I mean, out there with a pitchfork and the, you know, different ways to try and break up this concrete like clay. But everything I added just disappeared. You know, first rainfall, all the clay would come to the surface and all this other stuff would drop down out of sight. And I was right back to that concrete mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. And I gave up. I just said, that's, that's, I'm not doing that anymore. And I just started 
using leaves every fall. And it's my neighbor's leaves, my leaves, mostly maple leaves. The, there used to be a number of ashes, but they're going down, unfortunately. So it's honey, locust, and maple leaves. And chopped up with a lawnmower on the surface of the soil, they just disappear by June or July, the following spring. Uh, and, and what you're doing is, is compressing 10,000 years of soil formation into a, a few years. Exactly. I'm doing my own leaf mold. I'm pretending it's a forest. You're and, it's a forest and, yeah. and letting and letting the earthworms and the uh, yeah, they you know, do the, the work. Life in the soil incorporate that for you. Exactly, and I just sit in the hammock and drink martinis. It's brilliant. The, uh, <laughs> you know, your starting point. Now, and, and I thought afterwards, you're putting all that peat moss and compost and stuff in to start mm-hmm. probably helped yeah, kickstart the process so that the biology is there to to mix in the leaves naturally. But uh, you also made the most common mistake that a lot of people do when they're they're faced with that. I, I see a lot of benefit to sort of breaking up that compacted soil, mm-hmm. but you don't want to mix it vertically. You don't want to bring the clay subsoil up right. to the surface. Right. Now, if you break it up the shallow it down there, yeah. uh, and uh, then try and get some roots down there for some plants. You know, Excellent. ideally, you know, if we had enough patience in our gardens, we'd, we'd plant a crop of alfalfa right. there for a few years. And if we had big enough gardens, too. I wish yeah. I had that. The back 40 where I could be working out, you know, even better situation. Well, mm-hmm. listen, Keith, this has been great. I, I just want to mention the name of your book again. It's called Improving Your Soil, A Practical Guide to Soil Management for the Serious Home Gardener. Uh, Keith Reed is the author. And this book is available at all the bookstores, you told me, just recently. It's uh, hitting bookstore shelves now. I know it's at Chapters, and yep. I know it's uh, with all the online booksellers. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so and the Amazon bookstore doesn't have it, you can chase them and they can certainly get it in all right <laughs> good idea yeah, yeah exactly well thank you very much for this this has been great and like i say it's it's a great very well written book it's easy to read and obviously great you know photographs etc so if you're interested in growing a great garden you got to have great soil and this you, book is going to be you can certainly grow a bad garden on good soil but you can't grow a good garden on bad soil that's uh-huh. right that's right <laughs> thanks keith Thank you very much. Okay, pleasure meeting you and and listening to you. Excellent book. I've been reading while you've been talking. I know. Frank hasn't even jumped in. He's been so enamored of the book. (laughs) Well, actually, page 221 has a whole item uh, here about sulfur. Most interesting. I can't deal with it now, but get the book. Go to page (laughs) 2, well, actually, 221. 20, yeah. and uh, you'll read well, some pretty fascinating nutrition. stuff. Yeah, plant nutrition. Yeah. yeah, it's a great, and mulch, we didn't even get into mulch, but we'll get into that more as we get into the gardening season. So for now, that's a great start for everybody. Be patient and recognize what kind of soil you have before you do anything. Stay off the lawn, stay off the garden. And, well, we're going to do a bunch of exercises, but oh, we're not doing them in right. the garden. We're going to no, do them on the driveway right or on the patio. And because it's so darn cold, I am actually going to do some exercise. I won't just to warm it. up. <laughs> I'm just going to, uh, here go my arms. Ah, Look out. Look out is right. <laughs> so why is Frank waving his arms around? People are stopping on the street looking in the window. Uh, he's been taking his Sierra Cell. Yes, indeed. that does allow us to be active and pain-free. Now, it is a completely natural mineral supplement taken daily. Both of us find that it does help to be out there and be busy and not whining while we're doing it. So sierrasil.ca or give them a call, one eight seven seven joint 14 or pick up Sierrasil at many of the local health food stores. S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L Don't change the radio station. 
Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, along with <laughs> James Patrick Dooley, who will be the first voice you uh, you get to, uh, or you get to hear and enjoy. <clears throat> all right. We got to get back to our He's got a callers. scintillating voice. Oh, he's has quite he ever. a talented guy. And he'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wanda is with us. Hello, Wanda. I understand you've got beetles. Good morning. Well, I had beetles last year. I tried growing some potatoes in an urn, oh. and they were doing beautifully, just like a green bouquet, until the beetles, I don't know whether they were Japanese beetles. The ones that were sort of green with a bit of gold, you could hardly see them. That's them. There's a coppery. It's a green and a coppery sheen. That's it, exactly. So now this, I did get some gourmet potatoes out of it. Oh, nice. But what will I do? Do I have to dispose of that soil? Will they be in there again? No, they won't be in that soil because if they had tried to overwinter in that soil, they'd be dead right now. Okay. That soil above ground would have frozen solid and stayed frozen solid for uh, long enough that anything inside, any insect inside, would have died. So now they, thank you. They also attack the raspberry canes and just mm. strip them. They are, are just a huge pest and a huge problem. They uh, certainly loved your potato leaves. Now, they wouldn't have touched the actual potatoes, but no. they could kill the plant by eating all the leaves. And I know they were in my garden eating the beans. Really? The, particularly, they didn't really, again, they didn't eat the actual beans. It was the leaves they were eating. And they do they wreak absolute havoc on all the roses. So the best thing I can suggest with Japanese beetles is every morning you go outside, you've got a little tuna fish can or a cat food can with a bit of water and a drop of oil and you just go and you pick those beetles and you drop them in the can and they drown and it's just an ongoing daily thing whether you start in the morning and you every chance you get you're outside picking beetles and dropping them in the can well that's what i did i put the can under it Mm -hmm. so that because they would fall as you know that's right yeah yes so this year do you think i'll still get uh, raspberry canes well, hard to say, probably. Again, you're going to be patient. You're going to wait and see what's going on. You're going to do some pruning likely in the spring. Uh, raspberries, we typically do prune out where the berries grew last year to encourage the new growth. The um, uh, I think that ultimately, if you have around your house a ravine or a schoolyard or a parking lot or something where you could hang one of the Japanese beetle traps that's not on your property but close to your property and is, you know, not somebody else's garden. They, they're they very, very effective at attracting Japanese beetles. Uh, but you don't want to put it on your property because you'll get more Japanese beetles than you ever would have had without the trap. Uh, so it's one of those things that, like I say, a schoolyard, a parking lot, a, a ravine can be very effective for hanging one of those traps up. Attract all all the Japanese beetles in the entire neighborhood and let them die in that trap. That will lower your population somewhat as well. Well, how far away, though? I don't have anything that's... No, eh? Okay, then you're going to have to do what I do. That's that picking. Picking and dropping in the morning, squishing and squishing and stomping. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's really the best. That's all we're going to be able to do, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. Uh, I w- but again, I don't. maybe the population won't be as high this year as it was last year because... Insect populations do tend to travel in uh, cycles. So I'm hoping, and perhaps all that cold winter helped as well. Maybe yeah. some of the grubs didn't get down deep enough and froze before they could get down deep enough. You never know. Well, that's what I wondered, if they 
overwinter in the soil then? Uh, they do as, as mm. uh, grubs, but the beetles that we saw last year would have died. They just lay eggs and die. Well, okay. they eat and lay eggs and die. <laughs> well, I enjoy your program. It's very helpful and entertaining. And that uh, guest you had on telling us not to rake our lawns mm -hmm. early, that was really timely. That's great. Good stuff. That. Oh, thank you very much for your call. Thank you. All right. Thank you for paying attention, Wanda. That's, That's really yeah. good. I bet you Keith right. appreciates that. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> and always welcome to the show anytime at all. Now, we have two, not one, but two first-time callers Oh, my come goodness. In. You're going to you use your arm I shaking know. that bell, baby. And so my little... Um, what do you call that thing? Uh, that's the knocker, I think. The knocker? Called. No, it isn't. It? What's I it called? Yeah, there's some special... What, a, clapper. A, clapper. There you right. go. <laughs> Way to go. We'll be using the clapper in moments on AM740. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Well, let's welcome to the show a uh, first-time caller, Patricia from Toronto. There you go. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good. Morning. Good. Thank you for taking my call, both of you. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I did something rather uh, amiss this year. I had six, um, six-foot emerald cedars given to me by my two beautiful granddaughters, from Victoria, mm -hmm. and um, I've put three facing east and three facing south, but I did not wrap them mm -hmm. to protect them from the winter weather. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're slightly burnt, mm -hmm. and with the winds in that, and I wondered, is there anything I can possibly do? Okay, so this is actually a great question, Patricia, and you emailed me this question, and I printed it off just because it is such a good question. I think a lot of us are seeing evergreens in our gardens or our neighbor's gardens that have a rusty sheen to them, and that rusty burnt look typically is on the west side or the south side where the sun has been beating down. Ground has been frozen. The plants are unable to replace the water that's evaporating out of that side of the plant as the sun desiccates or dehydrates the green needles of the plant. Right. So what is going to happen, and again, this whole show, I think the, the mantra of the show this week is patience. What you're going to do is you're going to wait. It is likely that the plants will outgrow that rusty look as they, the growth starts to happen. If, if you still continue to see that, that look, you know, that, that rusty look, you're going to get out your shears and you're going to shear the plant. But you are going to wait until June before you do anything like that. June. Yep. Now, shear all of the rust off? Because one of them has an area that, quite frankly, it looks as though a dog has been in the garden, but I know it doesn't yeah. <laughs> Well... Um, yes, actually, you are going to, if it's low down, yeah, em emerald cedars tend to really react to the wind, the sun, salt, if there was any chance that uh, road salt could have been splashing up yeah. on the plants, obviously dog urine, same, any, any kind of ammonia-based product can burn the plants as well. Okay. So you may have to do some selective pruning as well as the shearing I referred to. You are going to fertilize in the spring, okay. so yeah. in May, or early or? June, and yeah, with cedars, a, a bunch of emerald cedars, you might want to get, there's a fertilizer called Cedar Feeder. And it's designed specifically to pump a bunch of nitrogen into your cedars to help them green up again. 
Okay. So you might want to invest in that, follow the instructions, and uh, and I think you'll find it'll be fine. If they've gotten through the winter looking as good, you know, as, as they sound, which is 90% green, right. then that's great. You know, okay. it's, it was a tough winter, and emerald cedars often do suffer in, in cold winters. But just for future winters, I really should protect them. What you want to do is protect them from the wind and the sun. So it's the burlap wall. You know, you can put up some stakes, run burlap between the stakes, and, and protect by... You're basically going to create some shade on that side. Okay. The other thing you can do is don't put your hose away until you absolutely have to in the, in the fall, and just water, 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 right up until freeze-up, and try and ensure there's as much liquid in the soil in the plants as possible. Okay, thank you so okay. much. I really appreciate your uh, help. My have pleasure. Thanks for calling. Thank Thanks, Patricia. Bye-bye. Now, we only have two minutes remaining, but uh, there might be time. I don't know whether you uh, can see the screen here. Okay. Maria on the line, uh, and she's uh, asking about a seed that was mentioned. So, welcome, first-time caller, Marie. Go Thank ahead. Thank you. Hi. Morning. Good morning. Love your show. Thank you. Uh, just a quick question. You, remember, you uh, mentioned about two or three weeks ago some seed to sprinkle in the garden to keep the squirrels away? Yep, it's safflower seeds. Safflower, and how do you spell that? S-A-F-F? L-O-W-E-R. So flower with an S-A-F in front of it. Okay, <laughs> okay. thank you. And safflower oil is a common cooking oil. You'll find okay. safflower okay. seeds, I think, at bulk food stores. At the bulk food stores. Yep. Safflower seeds. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. Thank that you. was a tip from Bertha in Guelph. She gave us that. She said, squirrels won't touch it and birds love it. Well, there you go. All right. Hey, we made it. We, we did good. We got all the, all the folks on that we had hanging on the line <laughs> we, there. We did it, right, Frank? We did it. <laughs> we did a good job. Thanks to my succinct questioning and, and, uh, and, and informative, and... packed uh, information regarding <laughs> telephones and heavens knows what. Uh, all right. So I'm off to the ball game today. What are you oh, yeah. doing? Yeah. Oh, and if there are any bookies listening in... Uh, I'd bet on the yeah. uh, Blue Jays because Blue Jays every time, win. Charlie tells me, every time yep. she goes to the game, they win. Yep. So, you know what? You, it's worth putting money on. I'm telling you. <laughs> I will tell you. I don't think I've ever gone to a game when they didn't win. So, you know. Well, okay. I, I, uh, They're going to win today. What, what do you say, James? I'll put 50 on that. 50 on 50. it? All right. Here Sense. we go. Sense. Yeah. Okay. Pennies. Exactly. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening in. Yeah. Honestly. Thank you so much, James Patrick Dooley. And thank you, Franklin Proctor. Couldn't do this without you. And our great callers make, it all, make all the difference. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.